This talk is brought to you by the Thomistic Institute. For more talks like this, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. So the, the treatments of the first petition of the Lord's Prayer show a striking consistency of interpretation from the earliest fathers through Aquinas, namely that the words, hallowed be thy name, are a prayer for divinization. I would have expected the emphasis to be on the praise of God. After all, we're saying to our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And Aquinas and others explicitly state that the praise of God must rank first. However, their attention in their expositions on this petition is largely focused on our being made like our Heavenly Father. This is the point that I wish to make today. And I didn't set out to prove this theme. Rather, I was totally ignorant of it and discovered it in my investigation of the topic. After finding this theme in the Fathers of the Church and Aquinas, I also found it naturally in secondary literature, such as Father Paul Murray's Praying with Confidence, Aquinas on the Lord's Prayer, that's from 2010, and Gerhard Lofink's The Our Father, A New Reading from 2019, and Mysteries of the Lord's Prayer, Wisdom from the Early Church from 2021 by Father John Gavin, who will speak to us uh, tomorrow. But to me, the more obvious connection would be between the invocation, Our Father, and filiation or divinization, rather than the, the first petition, Hallowed Be Thy Name. And indeed, Father Gavin discusses divine adoption and growth in divine likeness more in connection with addressing God as our Father than specifically with the first petition, although he finds imitation of God there as well. So my presentation will unfold in three sections, two very short sections before we turn our attention to Aquinas in the third section. Uh, in the first section, I'll have a few general observations about the Lord's Prayer. In the second section, I'll look at Tertullian's text, the earliest extant commentary we have on the Our Father. And in the third, sec third section, I will address the connection between the first petition and divinization in Aquinas, which will include a brief examination of Cyprian and Augustine, and even a little bit of John Chrysostom and Gregory of Nyssa, insofar as Aquinas appeals to them in his own reflection on the Lord's Prayer. And actually, I should have started with, does everyone have a handout? Because it would be, if you don't, we should get you one. It would be helpful. I have a, a fair, fair uh, amount of text that um, I'll be referring to. Yeah, and actually, I can explain that maybe. So, right, quotations. Not a, I'll announce most of them, but some of them I, I, I will not. But I, that way, you'll still have them. You can refer to them. And if I, you'll see it's four pages, so that's why I didn't include the original language, mostly Latin and some Greek, because eight pages would have been a bit much. Um, and yeah, and I, as, as I said, I won't announce all of them because that could become obtrusive, so some of it will just be, you, you will hear me refer to it and you can look on it, look at it if you want to. Yeah, so I'll be addressing then in the third section uh, Aquinas' work on divinization uh, in connection with this first petition. Uh, I did also look into Origen, Chrysostom at greater length, Gregory of Nyssa and Maximus, but we couldn't cover them and, and finish within the allotted time, but we can talk about them afterwards if you like. I looked into two other points that we will not have time to cover, so I'll mention them now in case you'd like to ask about them in the question session afterwards. Today and also like tomorrow, there's quad liberal, so there's, there's time for questions later, I, I believe. The first point is that I did, will not cover 
now, is Aquinas' alignment of the first petition of the Lord's Prayer with the gifts of fear and wisdom and their corresponding beatitudes, namely about the poor in spirit and about peacemakers. Augustine assigned a gift of the Holy Spirit and its corresponding beatitude to each of the seven petitions of the, the Our Father, and Aquinas follows his example. But Augustine draws a connection only between this first petition, the first beatitude about poor in spirit, and the first gift of the Holy Spirit, fear of the Lord. Aquinas does that, but he adds also the connection with the seventh beatitude, dealing with peacemakers, and the seventh gift, namely wisdom. And the second point that I won't have time to cover uh, in my lecture is the question of the one to whom this prayer is addressed, our Father. Is it the person of the Father, or is it the whole Trinity? Aquinas asks this question directly and answers that the Our Father is prayed to the whole Trinity, which for modern sensibilities could be a shock the first time you hear that. Earlier authors don't raise the question for its own sake, but seem to simply presume that it's prayed to the person of the Father, but then for some of them, because of the unity of the divine essence, it, the Son and the Spirit are not ruled out, but are included along with the Father. So again, we can talk about that later if you like. So first, a few general comments on the Our Father. The Lord's Prayer is given to us in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. So Matthew 6, 9 through 13, and Luke 11, 2 through 4. The version supplied by Matthew is the one we recite in the liturgy. This prayer does not appear in Mark or John, although Mark 11.25 has the phrase from the prayer given by Jesus as an instruction, namely, when you pray, forgive, and your Father in heaven may forgive you. Now, in the whole Old Testament, God is referred to as Father 22 times. If you want to read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament, the first time you hear that, it's like, surely more. And there are, you can count it slightly different ways, but I'm relying on Father Francis Martin 22 times. Whereas in the four Gospels alone, God is referred to as Father 170 times. And in only one of the 22 Old Testament references do we find God addressed directly as Father. In the other references, God might refer to himself as a Father, or the speaker might say, Lord, you are our Father. But only in the Book of Wisdom, 14.3, do we hear, it is thy providence, O Father. So if we miss the revelation of the Father, we will have missed the New Testament revelation. There are only three anti-Nicene commentaries on the Lord's Prayer that are extant. Those are provided by Tertullian, whose years are basically 155 to 220, Origen, say 184 to 253, and Cyprian, say 210 to 258. Some significant authors, such as Gregory of Nazianzus and Basil of Caesarea, didn't comment on the Our Father, not extensively. But others like Gregory of Nyssa, Augustine, John Chrysostom, Bonaventure, and Aquinas did. Maximus also. The Our Father is traditionally understood to contain seven petitions or clauses, but Luke only includes five. Aquinas turns to Augustine's Enchiridion for an account of why this is, namely that in Luke... Matthew's third petition, thy will be done, is included in the first two. Hallowed be thy name and thy kingdom come. So he doesn't have to bother writing it out. And Matthew's seventh petition, deliver us from evil, is necessarily fulfilled for all who experience the sixth petition. 
lead us not into temptation. So he doesn't have to worry about that either, writing it out. So I'll, I'll quote him here. If you consult your handout, you can see where Aquinas is quoting Augustine, where he is speaking for himself. This is quotation number one. As Augustine says in the Enchiridion, in Luke, five petitions are included in the Lord's Prayer, not seven. For by showing the third petition to be a certain repetition of the preceding two, he makes it to be understood by setting it aside. Because the will of God tends especially to making us know his holiness and reign with him. Also, Matthew placed deliver us from evil at the end, but Luke does not include it, so that each might know that whatever that whoever is not led into temptation is delivered from evil. Aquinas supports Augustine's interpretation with an explanation of how the fulfillment of God's will might be included in his name being hallowed and his kingdom coming. That is, God especially wills that we come to know his holiness and reign with him. Although the language of divinization is not explicit here, we can see its cent central importance. God especially wills it. Now, there are different ways to count the seven clauses. Tertullian and Origen, two of the earliest, the two earliest commentators that we have, count our Father in heaven as the first clause, unlike Augustine, who starts with the first petition, hallowed be thy name. To restrict the number of clauses to seven, Tertullian and Origen count lead us not into temptation, and but deliver us from evil as, as one clause. They refer to clauses rather than petitions because the first clause, our Father who art in heaven, is not a petition, right? So it's, it's an address. Unlike Augustine and his interpreters, who work to show that Luke's version is essentially the same as Matthew's, Origen emphasizes the difference. That is, conceding that the content is quite similar, he observes that whereas in Matthew the prayer was given spontaneously in the Sermon on the Mount, in Luke it was given by Jesus in reply to a request from one of his disciples. So uh, there's no disagreement here, but their emphases do, you could say, move in, in different directions. Okay, those are my general comments. How about then divinization uh, in, in the Our Father and first in Tertullian and then we'll say in Aquinas and then Aquinas will lead us to think about Cyprian and Augustine, and even a little bit of Chrysostom and Nyssa. From the earliest commentary on the Lord's Prayer, namely Tertullian's, it is observed that praying, hallowed be thy name, is for our good, not for God's. Tertullian, Cyprian, Origen, Nyssa, Chrysostom, Augustine, Maximus, and Aquinas all have this idea. The more evident meaning that we ought to praise God so quickly moves to the, the idea of divinization. This move would not seem to be a given, at least not to me. While not such a hidden possible meaning, it is striking that this interpretation appears to be universal. That's really what just kind of leapt out at me as I was looking into this. In any case, this theme of divinization is a thread that runs through all of these authors that I just mentioned. That is, in praying, hallowed be thy name, we praise God most profoundly, by becoming like him. Verbal praise is not sufficient. The effect of grace necessitates transformation. We could also add that for Aquinas, prayer is more petition than it is praise. In the Summa Theologiae, Thomas clarifies that three things are required in a prayer, and the second is petition. In his commentary on the Psalms, Aquinas teaches that the confession of praise 
is an effect of prayer, right? So prayer is petition. How about Tertullian then? Tertullian makes clear that God would not suffer if we did not pray that his name be hallowed, for his name is hallowed through himself, and it is he who sanctifies all others. Rather, this is a prayer that God's name be made holy in us, which extends to our praying for the whole human race, even for those who hate us. This is quotation number four. We ask it so that it might be hallowed in us who are in him. At the same time also with others whom the grace of God still awaits so that we might also obey this commandment by praying for all, even our enemies. So we see this theme of divinization in the earliest extant commentary we have. We ask that the Father's name be hallowed in us who are in grace and in those who will yet come into the life of grace. Okay, that's for, good for Tertullian. How about Aquinas? Aquinas discusses the first petition of the Our Father in five works, the Compendium Theologiae, the Summa Theologiae, and his commentaries on Matthew, on John, and on the Lord's Prayer. His exposition is more abundant in the Compendium Theologiae and his commentaries on Matthew and the Lord's Prayer. Yet in all of these works, we will find the strikingly consistent theme of divinization. Aquinas' analysis of the Our Father borrows readily from Augustine's writing on this prayer, and the part of Augustine's discussion that interests Aquinas significantly draws from Cyril's insights. So that's why I say we'll see them along the way too. So after a brief remark about Aquinas' appropriation of these two ancient fathers, including a couple of observations about the attribution of authorship, we will examine the five relevant works of Aquinas in the order in which they were composed so that we retain a chronological orientation. So first, Cyprian and Augustine and Aquinas. So Cyprian and Augustine and Aquinas uh, show, when we look at them, we see for, for the key idea that hallowed be thy name is a prayer that the Father's name be made holy among us in the sense that we are made wise and holy by turning our mind to divine things, Thomas turns to Augustine, who is largely borrowing from Cyprian. For some of the text, Augustine quotes Cyprian verbatim with explicit attribution. Thomas quotes Augustine more amply than he does Cyprian, but oftentimes Augustine is merely quoting or paraphrasing Cyril. For instance, the phrase, we do not ask as if the name of God were not holy, but so that it might be held as holy among men which is from Augustine's commentary on the Sermon on the Mount and is quoted in the Compendium, the Summa, and the Catena on, on Aurea and Matthew, is, actually, is in fact just a paraphrase of Cyprian. And that's number five on your handout if you want to look at that. Aquinas is aware that Augustine turns, also on that I give you, right, you can see the different versions he has. Aquinas is aware that Augustine turns to Cyprian's com commentary on this prayer, noting in the Summa Theologiae, Prima Secunde, uh, question 109, that Augustine confirms his assertion with the words of Cyprian concerning the phrase, hallowed be thy name. Now, around 1263, Aquinas attributes some of Cyprian's words to Chrysostom in the Catena Aurea on Matthew, in the section where he's talking about the Lord's Prayer, naturally. Later, in the Compendium Theologiae, 1268, so 
about five years later, Aquinas correctly identifies much of the text as coming from Cyprian. So what is Cyprian's text? In his commentary on the Lord's Prayer, Cyprian teaches, this is quotation number seven, after this we say, hallowed be thy name. Not that we wish God be made holy by our prayers, but that we should ask God that his name be made holy in us. Besides, how could God, who is the source of holiness, be made holy? But because he himself said, be holy for I am holy, we pray and beseech him that we who have been made holy in baptism may persevere in what we have begun to be. And we pray for this every day, for we need to be made holy daily, so that we who fail daily might cleanse our sins by constantly being made holy. The Catena Aurea, so 1263, reports this passage with slight abbreviations and variations, attributing all but the last line to Chrysostom. Then, as I said five years later in the compendium, he corrects the attribution, and that's number eight on your outline. Hence, by saying, hallowed be thy name, we wish, as Cyprian says, that his name be made holy in us. For because Christ says, be holy because I am holy, we ask this so that we, who have been made holy in baptism, might persevere in that which we have begun to be. So we also beg daily that we might be made holy, so that we who fail daily might cleanse our sins by constantly be made, being made holy. So you can see his text is pretty good that he has, for the addition he has from Cyprian. This passage is also of interest since we find Aquinas placing the words, be holy because I am holy, on the lips of Christ. In the Bible, we find these words in Leviticus first, uh, Leviticus 11.45, For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And then uh, Peter refers to this passage in his first letter, uh, chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. None of the scriptural authors attribute this phrase explicitly to Christ, but for Aquinas, since it was God who's quoted in Leviticus, there is no difficulty in asserting that this exhortation came from Christ, the God-man. I could locate one other place where Thomas identifies Christ as the speaker of words of scripture that are not quoted by gospel authors. Uh, that was in Aquinas' commentary on the Psalms. In interpreting Psalm 15, Thomas draws a connection between that Psalm 15 and Psalm 101 and Proverbs 8, assigning the words of the Psalm to Christ. This is number 11, quotation number 11. My eyes were upon the faithful, says Christ in Psalm 100 that they may sit with me, that Christ loves, that Christ himself loves the saints is clear in Proverbs 8. I love those who love me. The Psalms in particular bear a strong connection to Christ. For instance, Aquinas maintains that Psalm 22 is principally about Christ. Thus, it could possibly be about David secondarily, but it's about Christ. Okay, so now let's consider the five works where Aquinas treats the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. So first, the Compendium Theologiae, so the dates on that, 1265 to 1268. The Compendium Theologiae was to have three books on faith, hope, and charity, 
but Aquinas never finished book two on hope, in which he examines how hope relates to the Our Father. And he lays this out explicitly in chapter three of the second book. He says, therefore, when he teaches us to ask things from God, he urges us to hope in God. And he shows what we ought to hope for from him through those things that he reveals are to be asked for. Therefore, describing those things that are contained in the Lord's Prayer, we shall point out whatever can pertain to the hope of Christians. In the compendium, we clearly find the theme of divinization in connection with the first petition, and here it serves the purpose of bearing witness to the whole world. This is quotation 13. Therefore, so that that which is incomplete might be brought to consummation, we pray, saying, hallowed be thy name, so that, as Augustine says, it is not asked as if the name of God is not holy, but that it might be held holy among all. That is, so that God might become known so that nothing will be judged holier. Here Aquinas revises Augustine's held holy among us to held holy among all. I also wonder if sometimes he just was hearing, you know, hominibus and omnibus, but uh, it, it could be more deliberate. I, I, I know I want to say that that's what happened, but sometimes, you know, you're tired and you just hear, have something memorized and that's a possibility, I guess. And so what is in co What's incomplete that needs to be brought to completion? The recognition by all people that God's name is holy, namely holier than anything else. Here in the compendium, Aquinas asserts that the natural desire to know God cannot be frustrated. And then he traces the trajectory of man's growing knowledge of God through creatures, then the first covenant, and finally the incarnation. So Christ was first known by his disciples, notes Aquinas, but then the apostles and their successors were to make Christ known to the whole world. And how should this be accomplished? Yeah, there it is by the example of our own divinization. Quotation 14, but among the other indications by which God's holiness is manifested to men, the most evident sign is the holiness of men who are made holy by divine indwelling. One other thing, and I could have mentioned this, it's in English we say hallowed, um, sanctified, but in, in, in Latin is they're just using sanctificator, sanctus, so it's we, you lose an, 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 ins, an instant and unreflective connection in English. That's why it's, it's, the translation can be frustrating. So um, every time you hear holy or hallowed, think of sanctification. It's, it's, it's the same word, the basic at, at root. Thomas turns to Nyssa and then Paul as authorities who affirm this. That's quotation 15. For, for as Gregory of Nyssa asks, who is so bestial who seeing the pure life in believers will not glorify the name invoked in such a life. And this accords with what the apostle says in 1 Corinthians 14, 24, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. And then he adds, verse 25, and so falling on his face, he will worship God, proclaiming that God is truly among you. So even the less bestial pagans will fall on their faces and be converted if only they see true holiness in Christians. But does anyone besides 
Thomas maintained that this is what we ask for in the first petition of the Our Father? Yes, Aquinas quotes next Chrysostom in support of this. That's quotation 16. And therefore, as Chrysostom says, in the fact that he says, hallowed be thy name, he instructs the one praying to ask that God be glorified by our life, as if he had said, make us so live that all may glorify you through us. But God is thus made holy through us in the minds of others, insofar as we are made holy through him. So our divinization is evangelical in the pastoral sense. And this is what we ask for at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. And although Chrysostom's main point is that in this position, being made holy means being glorified, Thomas is not forcing an interpretation on Chrysostom here. For where Chrysostom interprets Christ to be teaching that through us all may glorify you, in his, in his commentary on the Lord's Prayer, he quotes Matthew 5.16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So Aquinas is justified in reading Chrysostom to be asserting that our divinization effects the conversion of others. Aquinas then turns to Cyprian for the passage that he had at one time attributed to Chrysostom. And here we find the first petition connected simply to the theme of divinization without the aspect of evangelizing others. This is quotation 18, which we also saw in, in number eight. Hence, by saying, hallowed be thy name, we wish, as Cyprian says, that his name be made holy in us. For because Christ says, be holy for I am holy, we ask for this so that we who are made holy in baptism might persevere in what we have begun to be. We also beg daily that we might be made holy so that we who fail daily might cleanse our sins constantly by, being, by constantly being made holy. Aquinas then turns back to Chrysostom for a passage that places praise of God above our own divinization. Right? Not that these are unrelated, but there's an order. A quotation 19. This petition is put first because, as Chrysostom says, worthy of the one begging God is the prayer to ask for nothing before the Father's glory, but to put all things after praise of him. Now, this is the emphasis that I would have expected to see developed in relation to the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. But from the earliest authors through Aquinas, the discussion of this first petition has focused on our divinization. Indeed, except for this point, taken from Chrysostom here, and in one other place, Aquinas' reading of this first petition concerns our divinization. That other place is in his uh, commentary on the line, I sought the Lord, from Psalm 34, where hallowed be thy name is interpreted to mean that one should seek God himself. Right. So that's emphasis on praise. That's quotation number 20. Now, why does Aquinas quote Chrysostom on point, then turn to Cyprian for a text that supports the theme of divinization that he discussed earlier, but does not address the evangelical aspect at hand, and then come back to Chrysostom? Well, I would never want to suggest that Aquinas was too lazy to cut Cyprian's quotation out and move it to a more relevant place after he had learned that it wasn't Chrysostom. So let me say instead that if you ever find anything like this in my own writing, just know that it's not on account of oversight or laziness. I'm just imitating the mighty Aquinas. <laughs> okay, the Summa Theologiae, second part. So that second part's from 1268 to 1272. 
in the first part of the second part, question 109, Aquinas teaches that even those sanctified by grace must ask for perseverance. The proof that Aquinas offers for this is, is the first petition of the Our Father, quotation 21. But, the per, but perseverance is asked for even by those who have been made holy by grace, which is understood when we say, hallowed be thy name, as Augustine confirms through the words of Cyprian. The implication then is that we pray, hallowed be thy name, so as to become divinized, as children should imitate their heavenly father. But then we should continue to pray, hallowed be thy name, to ask for the grace of perseverance. So we ought not to stop praying this first petition. Indeed, later in the Secunda Secundae, question 83, on prayer, Aquinas repeats Augustine's observation that the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer pertain to, pertain to future beatitude and the last four to this life. Thus, while this whole prayer will not be prayed by the blessed, the first petition may be. That is because in this petition, we simply will God's glory, which pertains to the love whereby we love God in himself. Thomas describes this in distinguishing the first two petitions. That's quotation 22. Now our end is God, toward whom our affection tends in two ways. In one way, as we will God's glory. In another way, insofar as we will to enjoy his glory. The first of these pertains to the love by which we love God in himself. But the second pertains to the love by which we love ourselves in God. And therefore, the first petition is given as, hallowed be thy name, through which we ask for God's glory. But the second is given as, thy kingdom come, through which we ask to come to the glory of his kingdom. But simply willing God's glory effects its propagation among us. Quotation 23, as Augustine says in his book on the Sermon on the Mount, when we say, hallowed be thy name, it is not asked as if the name of God is not holy, but that it might be held holy among men, which pertains to propagating God's glory among men. So divinization again. This prayer's ordering of the divine before earthly expresses the teaching Jesus gives later in the Sermon on the Mount, 633. But seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and all things shall be yours as well. And it's found also in other divine teachings, such as the Ten Commandments, right? If you think of the, the, about God, the first three about God and the rest about us and our problems. Okay, so that's uh, for the Summa. Then the commentary on Matthew. So this is 1269 to 1270. Aquinas offers an extended treatment of the Our Father in his commentary on Matthew, where the prayer appears in chapter 6. Aquinas wrote a commentary on one synoptic gospel and one on the gospel of John. Observing that Aquinas seems to have commented on the New Testament in canonical order, Jean-Pierre Torel opines that in passing directly from Matthew to John, Thomas must have thought that Matthew took the place of the other synoptic gospels, while John had something special to say. In any case, Matthew tended to be the favorite synoptic gospel of the ancients and medievals. As Father Gavin notes in his book, Matthew's version was liturgical, so you know, it has a, gains ascendancy uh, more easily. The association of divinization with the first petition of the Lord's Prayer appears clearly in Thomas's commentary on Matthew, recalling that Christ admonishes us not to babble on like hypocrites. Aquinas notes that in the Lord's Prayer, 
there are few words. Words given to us by the advocate, like a defense lawyer in court. This prayer, he explains, has three things, brevity, perfection, and efficacy. So we will be particularly interested here in his comments on efficacy. So I will just go after the first line, just skip down to the third character, characteristic. And this, so this is question quote 25. And this prayer has three things, brevity, perfection, and efficacy. It is efficacious because prayer, according to Damascene, is a petition of suitable things from God. You ask and you receive not because you ask wrongly, James 4.3. But knowing what to ask for is a difficult thing, just as knowing what to desire. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself asks for us, Romans 8.26. And because God taught us this prayer, therefore it is the most efficacious. And thus it is said in Luke, Lord, teach us to pray. The clause, hallowed be thy name, could seem, first of all, to be an expression of praise, as you've already noted. But here, speaking about the whole Lord's Prayer, Aquinas underscores the aspect of petition. He will manifest the same emphasis when commenting on the first petition in particular. Aquinas continues by specifying two requirements for someone who is praying, namely, first, trust in God, and secondly, in God's will and ability to give. That is why Christ taught us to say, Father, and who art in heaven. Thomas lists five ways in which addressing God as Father is beneficial to us. And I draw your attention especially to the third reason. This is quotation 26, so I'll just go read the third reason. Third, for exciting charity. For it is natural that a father love his son and vice versa. Be imitators of God as beloved children, Ephesians 5.1. Therefore, by this we are provoked to imitation. For a son should imitate his father as much as he can. You would call me father, Jeremiah 3.19. The third way in which calling God our father is beneficial, then, is that we are motivated to be imitators of God. Calling God our father leads to our divinization. For a son should imitate his father as much as he can. Thus, the connection between the first petition and divinization is evident. Aquinas also reviews three errors that are avoided by praying our father who art in heaven. The first error is to suppose that God does not care about us. This is ruled out because fathers have providence. The second error is to imagine that God imposes necessity on us. This is corrected by the fact that sons are free. It is rather slaves that say Lord instead of Father. And finally, there is the erroneous idea that prayer changes God. Acknowledging that our Father is in heaven rules that out because it establishes that God is above. Right? For Aquinas, very clear, analogous causality, God's not competing with us. We can talk about that later if you want. Then regarding our central interest, Aquinas explains how the word heaven is to be understood. And what do you suppose that might be? Well, of course, the saints. The th saints? Yes, that's what he says. Quotation 27, by heaven is understood the saints. According to Isaiah 1-2, hear, O heavens, or but you, who, but you dwell in the holy places, Psalm 22-3. And he says this to obtain greater confidence because it is not far from us. 
You are among us, Lord. Aquinas makes this same assertion again a few paragraphs down, as well as in his commentary on the Psalms, and he adduces the same suggestion in different language in his commentary on the Our Father. This is an overwhelmingly intimate association of man with God. The word heaven signifies those whom God has divinized. Thomas next turns to three authorities, Augustine, Cyprian, and Chrysostom, to assist in interpreting the first petition of the Our Father correctly, because it could seem as if we should not pray, hallowed be thy name, for God's name is always holy, as we've said, and does not need to be made holy. And, he says, this has been explained by the saints in many ways, yet all of them, as we will see, bear the theme of our divinization. So, question, uh, quotation 28. First, by Augustine, and I believe that this is the more literal, hallowed be thy name, that is, the name that is always holy, might appear to be holy among men. And this is to honor God. For by this, God's glory does not increase, but our knowledge of it, as we read in Sirach 36.4, so in them be magnified before us. And fittingly enough, after our Father who art in heaven, he says, hallowed be thy name, because nothing so proves sons of God, for a good son shows honor to his father. So this first petition is a prayer that we come to know God's glory and recognize the holiness of his name. And thus honoring our heavenly father, we prove our sonship, which we profess just before this petition by addressing God as our father. The divinization of our minds and actions bespeak our divine adoption. And in the same line of thinking for Chrysostom and Cyprian, we ourselves and our actions must be made holy to show the holiness of the Father's name. And this is what we ask for in the words, hallowed be thy name. This is quotation 29. According to Chrysostom, hallowed be by our works as if to pray, make us so live that by our works, your name might appear to be holy. As in 1 Peter 3, or according to Cyprian, hallowed be, that is, sanctify us in your name. As we read in John 17, 17, sanctify them in your name. And in Isaiah 8, and he will be a sanctification to you. And Aquinas concludes his reflection here with a threefold distinction that shows the extent of this petition. It is a prayer for the complete and permanent divinization of every last sinner. Quotation 30. And it should be known that hallowed be is first understood to mean that those who are not holy might become holy. For this prayer is made for the whole human race. Second, hallowed be, that is, that they persevere in holiness. Third, hallowed be, so that if anything is mixed in with their holiness, it might be removed. For every day we need to be made holy because of our daily sins. So unlike the Father's name, we must be changed and made holy, as Augustine observes in connection with this petition. The points about needing to be cleansed daily and then persevering echo Cyprian's interpretation, and the concern for the entire human race repeats an idea from Chrysostom, both of whom Aquinas quoted in the Compendium Theologiae, as we saw above. Okay, how about the commentary on John? 
1270 to 1272. We're moving closer to the end of his life. In Thomas's commentary on John's gospel, we find the theme of divinization in association with the Father's holiness, with the apostles being made holy. Aquinas explains that Christ addresses the Father, not just as Father, but as Holy Father, because the Father is the source of all holiness. And Christ was asking for his apostles to be made holy. Here we see Aquinas' theology of grace shine through. Sons should imitate their heavenly Father, but that must begin with the Father's initiative. Jesus asks the Father to make them holy. Quotation 31, Christ asks the Father, and with good reason, because he is the principle of every good. As we read in James 1.17, every optimal thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. But he adds holy because he in himself is also the principle and origin of all holiness. And because he was ultimately asking for the apostles' holiness, sanctification, and we read in Leviticus 19.2, you will be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And in 1 Samuel 2.2, he is not holy, as is the Lord. But he asks for their protection. So the same theme we see in the commentary on John. Then the commentary on the Lord's Prayer 1273, does this work? Thomas's commentary on the Lord's Prayer is a series of sermons on each position, petition preceded by a prologue. Naturally, you know, where would you go if you're going to work on this question? You go, this is the first place you turn for Aquinas' account of the Our Father, especially since it's a very late work, year before his death. But unfortunately, one of the sermons was lost. You want to guess which one? Yeah. The first one, the one I'm working on. Oh, well. <laughs> Now, there's a lesson here for students and faculty alike. Check your texts. You know, it's so, we have such wonderfully easy access to text. You know, you just go to the Aquinas Institute right before we had the, the Father Joe Kenny site, and then Isidore cloned that after that kind of went under. And then the, that Aquinas Institute, I mean, it's just so such easy access. We can become complacent. But on the Aquinas Institute site, you should, you know, click that little blue and white button I for information. Because uh, you, you, if you did, you would discover that many of the editions supply the missing sermon from a contemporary, Aldo Brandinus. And I would, I, I would not have minded learning that before I you know, was analyzing it and writing some things on it. And then, and then it's like, oh, you find out. You're like, oh, OK, I guess we'll not use this. Same, same thing with, you have to be careful because we're, today we're very fussy about plagiarism and copyright and, and royalties. So, you know, it's my name or it's not my name. But, you know, um, same thing about Albert Summa when I was doing my doctoral work. And it's like I, I read a comment by Emery and said, you know, Albert Summa was put together by his students. But it reflects Albert's thought. And I was like, what? I've been quoting that all. Oh, you have to take it all out and you go find it in the sentences commentary. You know, or Alexander of Hale similarly, you know, you just have to be so a lesson. But all is not lost. The prologue of this work is replete with the theme of divinization. Now, since the prologue does not pertain precisely to the first petition, I will only point out one example, which is particularly relevant to the first petition, because in his commentary on Matthew, Aquinas offers the same interpretation in connection with the first petition. What is that example? Well, in the clause, our Father who art in heaven, what does heaven mean? According to Aquinas, it means 
in the saints. God dwells in the saints. Here again, the saints are compared to heaven. When we pray, our Father who art in heaven, we should understand our Father who art in the saints. In support of this interpretation, Thomas quotes Psalm 19.1, the heavens proclaim the glory of God, in which he takes the heavens to refer to the saints. To make his point about indwelling, he turns to Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell by faith in your hearts. And also 1 John 4.16, that he abides in charity. Oh, no, he that abides in charity abides in God and God in him. And then also John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and will make our dwelling with him. In Aquinas' account, we shall be divinized. And the first petition of the Lord's Prayer asks for that. So in conclusion, by examining the works of Tertullian, Cyprian, Nyssa, Chrysostom, Augustine, and Aquinas, we can see that from the earliest patristic commentators through Aquinas, treatments of the first petition of the Lord's Prayer show a striking consistency in interpreting the words, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, to be a prayer for our divinization. One might have expected the emphasis to be on the praise of God, at least I would have, and two of the authors we have consulted state explicitly that praise comes first. However, the bulk of attention in their expositions is focused on this position as related to our being made like our Heavenly Father. The Father's name is always holy, and God does not need us to make it holy. So the point of our petition is that the Father's name be held as holy among us, and that is accomplished most profoundly by our becoming like him. Thanks for your attention. Uh, my question is about Christ and prayer, I guess. Um, is there, rightly, of course, you said that you, you address the Our Father to the whole Trinity. Christ is one of the persons of the Trinity. Um, and certainly, there is nothing in the God-man that is, that is unholy or from the moment of his conception, you know, perfectly filled with grace. Um, but in regards to, I guess, um, the glorification of the Father, is there a sense in which Christ could have prayed something like the Our Father, referring to the Father, both because even insofar as Christ, or the Word, I guess, is a, is a principle of the grace that is within Christ, he is that in virtue of what he's received from the Father. So the Father is still, in a way, the principle of the glorification which the Son gives him. Um, so yeah, I guess that's kind of what my question would be. Yeah, good. So in his divine nature, of course, he doesn't pray, but in his human nature, to the Father, certainly, but not the Our Father, not the prayer, because forgive us our trespasses, no, right? Um, and that's right. And also, if you look at the text, it's 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 rather clear, like the disciples say, teach us how to play, pray, and he'll say, when you pray, say. So, so, so yes, uh, and, he, and he says, he says, right, uh, in, in the Gospels that he's praying, you know, Father, I, I, I thank thee for hearing me, and, and so forth. So, so he does, but, but not, not this particular prayer. But that's, so that's, yeah, so that, that also helps Aquinas' thesis about its prayer to the whole Trinity, but not by the Son, in, in, not by Christ. All right, cool, here from inside. Thank you very much uh, for the talk. And I wanted to ask you about, you mentioned how Aquinas, right, uh, 
talks about this VR file being addressed to the whole Trinity. So how does this, what you were just presenting about how we are asking for a legalization, um, how does that look, the fact that we are praying to the Trinity? So um, if you could flesh out a little bit more on what's the impact of that. We are praying to the Trinity, so it's the Trinity that yeah, good. So first, Aquinas recognized he, that, that we pray directly to the Father, address the Father directly. I mean, we do that in the liturgy. He even says Christ taught us to do that, always through the Son. But the Our Father is naturally, most naturally addressed to the whole Trinity because all three persons have a paternal relation to us. Aquinas is very, wants to be very careful in, in preserving that. So the analogy is God the Father is to God the Son, as God the Trinity is to creatures. So we're very faintly Son. I mean, that's like stretching. If you want, that's the analogy of being, right? You, you just, I mean, uh, of the same nature, you know. So we're closer on the ontological scale. We're closer to non-being than we are to to God's being. But in virtue of the image, we are we are we we are capable of filiation. So uh, so that that's what that's what he's after. Uh, yeah, that all three persons. Uh, give us our daily bread. All three persons are, we, we, you know, deliver us from evil. All three persons create. So all three persons are God, God, our father. So uh, that, that's what he's after. The other authors just, uh, they, uh, some, like the earlier ones, they, it's not a question they ask directly, but they still will say it. Um, Tertullian is interesting. He'll say it's addressed to the father and then he'll say, but the son is the name of the father. So now we, so, so it's, it's addressed to the son. So that's interesting. So he says the father. So on account of it's being addressed to the father, it's the son. Um, a couple other authors have, have a, a, a similar, I'm, I'm forgetting which, which one exactly, but um, Augustine is actually, sometimes it's not clear. In some of them, the, 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 the subject shifts. It's like, it's, it's Christ speaking. Then the, it's, you know, Nissa speaking for himself. Then all of a sudden. So, but it, most of them, as far as I can see, presume that it's addressed to God the Father, but on account of the unity of essence and their their uh, equal possession of divinity, the other persons, uh, it applies to the other persons. You'll, you'll see that often. Thank you, Father. Uh, to follow up a little bit on that, my understanding of Aquinas' uh, teaching on divinization is that it's connected to his teaching on the invisible missions of the, the Son and the Spirit as kind of the way in which we are um, the way in which our divine adoption makes us like God. So I'm wondering if this paragraph is addressed to the whole Trinity, and um, we talked about the Father and the Son here. How is the Spirit connected in this petition to uh, a prayer for divinization? Okay, so it was directed to the whole Trinity, so so the, the Holy Spirit would certainly be included. Is that I don't know if I give you a second chance, uh, because but yes, so the, the the missions on account of the missions were conformed to the the persons who are sent, the Son and the Spirit, and uh, it would be those. Well, as we heard one of our authors say, you know, those in grace pray it, and then those whom grace is still awaiting. But so, so, yeah, so to the whole Trinity, so to the Spirit, and the Spirit divinizes us, uh, and is even the exemplar of of charity in us. Yeah, that, that's good. I was just, I was thinking, um, you know, with like a, um, maybe this was in the last quote, too, about the, uh, where 
charity itself is brought up there. If you had any thoughts about like specifically connecting the invisible missions with with this petition. Oh, with hallowed be thy name? I mean, it's, it's prayed by those in grace. You could think of, so the actual, just the, the wording might not especially draw you to it, but the Our Father is given in, 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 the, in the right, right, to people coming into the church. Uh, it's, if, it's, it's given to them, and, and they, was it, was it Father Gavin, one, one author was talking about I me, mean, it was Paul Murray, about how, you know, they, they, they couldn't, it, they didn't have access to it until it, in the right it was to show that it was a, a significant thing; it would be given to them. So, insofar as it's linked to grace and, and the life of grace, there would be uh, only only those who are have become sons and daughters of God will be praying it. But in terms of like seeing "Hallowed be Thy name," seeing the you know personal distinction and, and the missions would be would be less. I, that connection would be would be um, not so evident. That's that's what I'd say. So, so what, what you said is, is absolutely true. So each person acts according to his own mode. So the, the Father, that, that's right. So the same way salvation comes about, the Father working through the Son, as John, all over John's Gospel, the, the Son says, I, I, I do what the Father shows me and the, what the Father does, the, the Son does. So it's done through the Son and in the Holy Spirit. But so I, I wish uh, I was looking for, it would be wonderful if you could see, and, and maybe there are uh, some of the Father's uh, break this out and find a, a particular manifestation of, of something triune in this particular petition. But did you, did you but I, I, I didn't, I didn't see that immediately, but certainly it's all the petition. So pray to the whole Trinity, but to each person in his distinction. And, and that's, that's how it comes to us. So as you said, the father sending the son who teaches us, and this would be, you're right that, um, uh, cause Augustine says, well, who else would we address, but the son's own father. And one of the other fathers says, you know, the, God is pleased by hearing his his own his own words, the ones that were taught by he by him himself. So, um, so yes, the order is certainly there. Uh, the order of salvation being led back by the Spirit to the Son to the Father. Um, so, so that's definitely there. That's that's how the name is given. That's how divinization takes place. But um, if someone, if I, I would like to, I, I wish it were there. It could just be my denseness that I don't see. But but if someone said, well. Show me the actual Trinitarian, distinct Trinitarian aspects. I don't, I don't see that right away. But if you, if you see something, I, I. It seems probably more appropriate than personally proper. Right, 
but how about name? Because I was thinking, like, can you, can this name, would you, did you want to appropriate that to? To the son, insofar as uh, the son reveals to us a divine name that can be spoken, that should be spoken by us, whereas the Tetragrammaton is not to be spoken. Um, so mm-hmm. it, in mm-hmm. that sense, yeah, at least appropriately, mm-hmm. we can attribute that to the son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, can I uh, ask, uh, this is maybe coming at a similar, um, the same point from a different, slightly different angle. You did mention this, I was wondering if you could perhaps say a little more about it, and that's the theme of affiliation. And, um, you know, so divinization, adopted sonship, and this petition. Or what it means that we would speak about God as our Father from the perspective of a creature, something like that. Um, just if, there, if you have any reflections on this. Aquinas does briefly mention this in the John commentary when um, he is commenting on Jesus saying to Mary Magdalene, uh, I go to my father, you know, tell them I'm going to my father and your father. Um, and so then Aquinas comments, uh, my father in one way, your father in another, um, because our relation to God the Father is actually through our adoptive filiation, which depends on being related to Christ the Mediator and the Holy Spirit. Anyway, I'm wondering if you could speak about adoptive filiation. Okay, uh, I'll try. So um, Aquinas says, as we saw in some of these quotations, it's by imitation. So we're made like the Father. And the Father, in a way, is, uh, he doesn't say that right here, but is then is a principle in us. Aquinas says in, in his commentary on Ephesians, Father, what is the definition of a Father? Is, is one who gives life, who, who, or who just gives the ability to love and to know well. And so... And it reminds me of, of so two two verses we could think of. One is, you know, when, when you're being persecuted and you're fleeing from synagogue to synagogue, you know, don't don't worry about what you are to say. The, the, fa- the spirit of my father will be speaking in you. So there there's the, the father acting in you. And the, I, what I find to be the most chilling words in in, in scriptures are where uh, he's arguing with the, the Jews who are about to trying to stone him. And, and, and they said, we're, we're sons of Abraham. We're, we're free. And he says, he says. Uh, if if you were if if God were your father, you you would you, you know you wouldn't be trying to kill me. He says you do the works of your father, the devil. So that the, the devil can be a principle of our actions is terrifying. So the opposite. So so filiation is precisely to have the right father, to become conformed to him. And um, it's interesting. There's I, I I should I would certainly defer to those who have looked at this more. But in my cursory uh, investigation in, in some of this. The uh, the Easterners' fathers tend to say more. You are you 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 become conformed to him, and then you pray the Our Father. Whereas the Westerners seem more to say you you pray this, and that's how you be conformed. So, like is it, is it Maximus is, has a pretty hard line about something like um, prayer is the petition of one who has been con- you know uh, who who lives rightly or has been conformed to God. You're like. <laughs> well, I think of, you know, I'm, I'm praying before I get there, you know, so, um, uh, so yeah, so divine, fil- so imitation would be the, the, the huge theme and God in us, uh, acting in us and, uh, we become more like him. So, and I know you've done a lot of work on the, on the mission, so you could tell the, the rest of the story.
Thank you very much, uh, Father Ku, for a very illuminating talk. Uh, I was especially thinking about, uh, let's say, the tension you raised at the beginning and talked throughout of where is the focus? Is it God or is it us? One can think about this as a tension even for theology as posed by Aquinas in general. Is theology about God or is it about us? It says very clearly it's about God. So it's surprising, as you pointed out, it's surprising that for this perfect prayer, the focus is a bit more tinged toward us in terms of our uh, divinization, our petition. So one could wonder, how is it perfect? Um, would, would one want to think about the glory be, for instance? So for instance, the glory be, Trinitarian, glory be, there's nothing about me. And maybe that's pretty good. As, as a prayer. He must increase, I must decrease. Along those lines, some of the, the, the questions that were asked uh, at the beginning of the Q&A, and with the Trinitarian aspect of God as well, I'm wondering um, if the last quotations and some of the others that touch upon charity may help. And I'm, I'm just kind of talking out loud, and I'm sure you could, could elucidate this, but that's kind of asking just kind of wondering out loud, and you can clarify. Um, if perhaps a focus on God will lead us to think of, let's say, religion or praise as the proper sort of perfect prayer, that if when St. Thomas talks about religion, the virtue of religion, he then also, every so often, kind of teases out what is infused religion which is going to involve a form of charity. So with, for instance, that last quotation where he talks about charity and God, God and us, us and God, is it right to say that Thomas's focus with the Our Father as a Trinitarian prayer, as a prayer of petition, as a prayer of divine filiation, is his focus uh, charity? perhaps, and religion as infused, or the, the infused version of religion, which is going to be charity-driven, in a sense, and insofar as charity has God as its proper object, even whenever we're talking about charity toward our neighbors, it's, it's proper, our object remains God. Um, I don't know, I'm just wondering, who it is. Is, is that, what would you say about that? Is there, is there some way that Terry is going to help us on this question? Well, I think you can't, I think it's an intelligent way to, to look at it as it's the perfect prayer. It's, and, and what we're all aiming for is, is unity to be united with God in charity. So, so certainly that, that has to be there. Um, that was very uh, insightful to connect it to the virtue of religion because Aquinas says that Holiness, the virtue of holiness and religion are the same in the real order, but distinct logically. And I came across that because I was looking for a definition for holiness. And we tend to say or think of it as consecrated, set apart. But I didn't find that in him. He talks about it as purity of divine goodness and then holiness as its religion. The, 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 so, um, uh, OK, so. Yeah, charity which would be naturally if we're conformed to, to God, the more perfectly, uh, uh, the more perfectly we are 
this is the perfect prayer. All other prayer, it, it has, according to Augustine, and of course Aquinas goes along with him. There's nothing. If you any any other prayer is just you know you can it's it's a, re, a, a, a some kind of some version of of what's asked for here. So uh, if this expresses everything and is about our being conformed to God, then then I think charity definitely would would be in there. I mean you have to work out the specific connections, but I think I think very much. You certainly couldn't deny that. I mean, that that this is what it's leading to, having God as the object. But yes, very much that was what surprised me is that it was, it's like it's about us, but it's not. I mean, it's, it's both, right? That that the praise of God is, is the sanctification of man, and and sanctification of man is praise of God when they're understood or they're two sides of the the same coin, uh, especially in virtue of the incarnation. So we we have we have both of them. So so yes, so I, I mean definitely charity, but. The particular way you'd work it out in terms of virtues is enough to be done. We're about to take our break, but before we do, let's give our thanks to Father Coop.